Welcome to Restored Gospel Podcast. Welcome back. I'm Mike Barrett. I'm Corey Stark. We are two friends having casual conversations about the things of eternity. We invite you into that conversation. We started uh, at the end of last time when we were together talking about the change of heart and that we were going to dive into that a little bit because we mentioned that the gospel is all about having a change of heart. We mentioned that over and over again. And we don't want that to be cliche, but really that is the heart of the matter. I guess that was a bad choice of words <laughs> to be redundant, but um, having a changed heart. And we we just got into that just a little bit. But Corey, I was thinking, <clears throat> you know, when I was talking to a, a dietitian not too long ago for a, a project I was doing in school where I was writing a paper, and um, and so... Believe it or not, this is awesome. Hy-V, every Hy-V store has their own registered dietitian that yeah. actually works there in the store, and they have great services available for people that are wanting to uh, eat healthier, or maybe your your doctor gives you a special diet, and uh, you don't know how to find food for that diet. They'll go in and they'll help you. Uh, they'll walk you around the store, show you uh, um, all kinds of neat things. Anyway, I had no idea that was all available, so I was talking to her and. Um, she told me something to the effect of, she goes, you know, being overweight or having diabetes is never a problem until it is. Mm. And it was such a plain statement. And what she meant was, um, we don't make the connection between, you know, eating cookies every day or, um, you know, eating fried chicken and cheeseburgers and milkshakes, you know, that, that makes us 100 pounds overweight until, you know, we wake up one day and our blood pressure is out of control and we feel terrible right. or, you know, our sugars are so out of, out of control that, you know, we're either tired or we're nausea, you know, nauseated, sweating, all of those things. And once we make that connection, you know, once you, you lose your big toe on your right foot because of diabetes, now it is a problem. And now the connection is made, Hey, what I actually put into my mouth really has an effect on the entire body. Right. Then you have a change on the inside of, it's not just about, um, you know, these are the good foods, these are the bad foods, but it really is, man, I don't want to eat something that's going to cause me to lose a limb or a toe or anything. Right. So then a kind of a change is made. Um, there's probably other examples like that in our lives. Um, we continue to do things that aren't always healthy or good for us until we actually feel the effects that those are bad. And what a tragedy to go all the way to the grave, continuing to sin or not desire God above all else, and then realize that that was the wrong path. Right, right. You know, like in the scriptures early in Genesis, in Noah's day, it talked about, what you're describing in the same way, uh, the people were marrying and giving in marriage, and it's like, there's nothing wrong with marriage. That's obviously what God wants. But the fact is, they were unaware of what was pending, you know, and the fact that they weren't listening to what Moses was saying, hey, you need to repent, you need to change, your heart needs to change, or bad things are happening. It's like, no, I'm good, I'm good. Uh, and, and even the scriptures in the New Testament says, in the last days, it'll be just like in the days of Noah, you know, the same way, people just not aware, not, mm -hmm. not, not, doing it until the bad occurs. And like you say, when something irreversible all of a sudden is presented to you, it's like, oh my gosh, I, I should have changed. And and that's what the scriptures say. You know, that's the awful guilt that will fill the hearts of the unrepentant when they realize that the time had passed, the probationary time was passed. And it's yeah. like, I should have listened. Because there's nothing, and we, we addressed that question on, you know, does, does God really stand there and let us, quote, let us into heaven or... You know, are we there because in hell because of our choice? Boy, at that day, it's like it's not a problem until it is. It is a problem. But the problem isn't like, oh, God put me here, let me out. The problem is I don't want to be holy, and now there's nothing I can do about it. Right? Why didn't I work on that desire to be holy? Right. Um, because now I'm at a point where, you know, I can't desire that, or, or if I can, I'm going to have to go through a huge... <laughs> Whatever God has prepared, we know it's not good. Even if even if there's still a chance, um, that's not the, the best path to take. 
Yeah. You know, um, sometimes people can experience a taste of something that's really bad that causes them to do the 180 to turn around their life. And one of those people in scripture was Alma Jr. And his father listened mm. to a benedized word, and his father, Alma Sr., was a wicked priest in King Noah's court with everyone else. But when a Benedi comes through and says, hey, you guys need to change, he listens, and there's a change in his heart and, and some of those who leave. But what's interesting is his son, who was rebellious and, and fighting against the church and says he was a wicked and idolatrous man, this is Alma Jr., um, he ends up being confronted by an angel, You know, no doubt from the prayers of his father and others who were praying that he'd have a change. Well, what he declares is that for two days in this coma, you know, he experienced the bitter pains of, of hell, and it was awful. And his awakening from that is he announces to everyone, he says, hey, be of good cheer. I've been born again. I've been born in the Spirit. <clears throat> this thing that we often think of, oh, that happens when you're baptized in water and receive laying on hands. Well, chances are, since Alma's dad was the one who baptized everyone in the wilderness, Alma Jr. was already baptized. That had already happened in his life. But at some point, at this point in his life, he experiences the pains of hell, and they were so bad, he didn't want anyone else to ever experience it. And it changed him to where he wanted to share every, with everyone this news that you have to be changed, you have to be born again. And it's the crux of Christianity. Um, Alma's sermons that are recorded in Alma chapter 3 and 5 are, are two great ones. Uh, one of them, you get this... A uh, list of questions that Alma asks over fifty questions, and he's he's not asking the stranger on the street or the heathen. He's asking the people of the church, and he says, "Have you experienced this mighty change in your hearts? The thing that had happened to his his dad and others." Um, and and he makes everyone kind of look in the mirror. If you read the chapter uh, closely with any uh, intellectual honesty, you realize he's asking these questions of people who have already supposedly come to Christ. He's asking the church. that. So when, that's Alma Jr., or is that? Yeah, the junior. Uh -huh. That's not the Alma that was in the <laughs> No, coma. he's referring to his, his dad. <clears throat> this is the junior who's now on the on the missionary path. He's, so, this is his sermon. But yeah. if that had never happened with his father, right. who, who knows? You know, without getting too far off track, but I always think philosophically, like we said, it's not a problem until it is. Well, with, with Alma's dad... He, it was a problem. It became a problem. It was a problem at that point. He knew he was going to be destroyed if he didn't, you know, change. He felt the terrible gulf of bitterness and woe. And you ask yourself, why was he able to have that experience on this side of the veil where the, seemingly the Lord had great mercy on him and really went to great lengths to change the pathway that he was on in life? If he hadn't have done that, um, would he have ended up in hell or in the prison house at one point in time? Why? Why did God? Uh, you know, why did that happen with him? But we know that at least there seems to be a purpose that his son was able to then benefit from this great uh, knowledge that his dad had, and and then he recorded these words for us to have, right? Right. So right. we, though we didn't have this experience where we were. <laughs> caught up in a coma for three days. We have the record of it, and it was still maybe done to him to benefit us, and at least God cares enough about us to preserve this story. And so we need to then uh, pray to God that this can have full sway in our heart, that we can understand it, and that it'll have the desired effect without Corey falling down and me falling down and being in the same way. Uh, God's got other ways prepared that we can still have the same benefit from it. And that's really important because the criteria for each one of us, Corey, is the same, that changed heart. And no one's right. going to escape that. No one's going to, God's not going to look at one person and say, well, eh, your circumstances were different. It doesn't matter. Our hearts have to be changed. So whether we're in a coma laying on the ground or we're reading the words being preserved for us or whether we're hearing the story in the next life after our heart stops, it's equal opportunity for every person. And in a God that is mighty to save, we have to have faith that his opportunity is equal for each and every person. So yes, anyway, yes. Yes, yes, sorry, back to your, no, back no, to your no, question. That's, that's all good because you know both the Almas have this message and, and this Alma Sr. is sharing in, in Mosiah 11 of beautiful uh, doctrine that's shared with him by an angel. And, and, and he's told this, 
uh, you know, the Lord speaks to him and says, and this is uh, Mosiah 11, 137, he says, Therefore go, and whosoever transgresseth against me, him shall ye judge according to the sins which he's committed. And if he confesses sins before me in thee, and repenteth in the sincerity of his heart, him shall ye forgive, and I will forgive him also. And, and notice the, the beauty of this God who's mighty to save, who shares this. Yea, and as often as my people repent, will I forgive them their trespasses against me. And, and that's just beautiful because, you know, when, when Jesus was asked by the disciples, how many times should I forgive someone? Seven times, because they thought, thought seven was like the spiritual number. Jesus' response is, no, seven times 70, you know, and a, a big number. Yeah, you do the math. And it wasn't even meaning 490. It meant keep forgiving, always forgive. And, and why? Because God is, this is one of the conditions of a changed heart. Are we willing to forgive other people when they sin against us every time? And, and not hold that grudge and, and not be um, uh, condemning in our hearts because that's what God did. God gave up the grudge he could have held up against us for eternity. So he's saying, okay, learn learn from me first. Don't hold the grudge. What did he say in that scripture? Who Whosoever you shall forgive, I will forgive. What, yeah. did, what did that, read that again. Well, it, he just says, <clears throat> he was talking about how to regulate the church because basically He's commissioning Alman to build up the church, and he's saying, hey, the first thing is people have to come with repentance. And he says, if he shall confess his sin before me and uh, before thee and me and repenteth in the sincerity of his heart, him shall ye forgive, and I will forgive him also. In other words, he was wondering, how, how do I let people in for baptism? You know, And this is something that we really don't do much in the church anymore. We, I guess we hope it happens. But in the, in the days here of Alma and others, people didn't come... Unless they confess their sin, you know, they they basically they they had to admit their guilt and their sin and their unworthiness before they were allowed to be baptized. And whoever didn't confess that wasn't allowed to be baptized. So, you know, I I, I don't know. There, there's a lot we could say or think about that, but it there has to be. It starts with an admission of our unworthiness at, at some point in time, and that's what I think Alma's first is establishing here with uh, with him in setting up the church. That's such a good. Um I've actually had people say, you know, we shouldn't, we don't need to be confessing our sins because, you know, that type of service can get out of hand and who knows what kind of things will come out and maybe little children's ears will be burning and they don't need to hear some of those things. But, you know, that's one of the things that I just, I really believe the church is missing. And especially like in our prayer services, Corey, I, it's very hard for me, it's very, very hard for me to attend prayer services where, uh, we're constantly um, asking God to heal our physical needs, but um, I would I would like to see as at least equal time that we are confessing our weaknesses and asking God to uh, change our hearts and work on our inner inner struggles, the things that people can't see. You know, right. people know when someone is in a wheelchair and they're wheeled into prayer service that they need that physical healing or that physical help. And we want to ask that for him, but there's just as glaringly of a problem on the inside that we we don't confess that enough. And um, yeah, we think the one with a physical need is the one with the problem, yeah. and we're all sitting here with this raging, you know, evil spirits within us. In a sense, it is terrible, right? Because God doesn't say you know you have to have two strong legs to be able to walk into the kingdom. He says you have to have a changed heart, right? And it's my own weakness. I'll confess my own weakness. You know, I don't attend prayer service regularly. I went back a few weeks ago or a couple months ago and tried to go a couple of times, and it was the same thing. And it's just because of who I am, I leave there feeling more sick inside and sad that because it's kind of like, uh, I don't know, maybe it's like looking at this wounded puppy, you know, with three legs and matted hair. And, and every time you see them, how, how sick and disgusting they look, you just feel sad inside. And I kind of see that the same thing with the church that it reminds me of just how how lacking we are in trying to move forward and i don't know and i think the biggest thing is i don't know how to change it i don't know how to make things different and so it's just caught up in this thing. and not that it's bad right it's yeah, not but, bad to pray for one another but if that's all we ever do we have a prayer list every week and it's all of these you know these terrible things that that people are suffering from but i don't see the prayer list of you know so and so is you know, desiring to do this rather than that. And we're, we're never, how do we get to that point? Yeah, yeah. And maybe maybe that's the thing. Maybe we've 
sort of allowed ourselves into this paradigm of believing well because we're the church restored that somehow we're beyond that and so we just need to meet and wait around for the kingdom to to come down from heaven and and yet the the crux of this church that you know almost being told early on uh, the the foundation has to be you know one people have to be willing to repent and and also us to forgive each other and 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 so Many times there's just as much animosity between people, you know, harbored sins or hurt at mm-hmm. church or within our homes that we don't resolve and we think we can somehow come before God and it'll be okay. And Jesus says, hey, first go make things right with your brother, then come to me, right? Well, and so so it's interesting, too, because right after this verse in uh, Mosiah 11, 138, where he says, as often as my people repent, I will forgive them their trespasses. So, of course, we need to take that hint and do the same. But then he says this also, and ye shall forgive also one another your trespasses. For verily I say unto you, he that forgiveth not his neighbor's trespasses, when he saith that he repenteth, the same hath brought himself under condemnation. So it didn't say, whosoever forgives his neighbor when he proves that he repents, just when he says that he's repented. If we, if we, don't let that go in our heart, then we're under condemnation. So don't question, you know, the motive or are, are you really sincere? That's yeah. not really our job, is yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. No. You know, I was in a, a men's worship uh, not long ago where, um, boy, I, I think the chalk went up for the Lord and, and, you know, defeat for Satan that morning because there was a brother who, who stood up and we were having just kind of a prayer and testimony time. And all of a sudden he said, you know, I got to get something off my heart. And he, he shared openly with how some one of the other brothers in there had said something unintentionally that had offended him through his ministry or whatever and and how he had been hurt by that. And he confessed this it publicly, and I, I think he was justified in doing it. But the healing that came in that moment, I mean, there were, after he said this, he said, I, I just want to let you know I love you and you're my brother and I, I don't, I I feel bad for these feelings I've had. And, and there were hugs and there were tears and it was like, it didn't matter what the agenda for the whole service was because there was love in that room for a moment where we came to that point where it was like, put all this aside and let's get this, this take care of the real meat of the issue here. And it seems to be a point that we, we so rarely come to, you know. Because by the letter of the law, you might say, well, if, if that was just between those two, he could he could do that, you know, at another time or not. But But when you do it that way where other people are able to witness it, Oh wow! Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it, hearts are changed. You know, it's interesting because there was so little that uh, Alan's told regarding how to set up the church. He he basically finishes this out and says, uh, "Now, after the part that whoever doesn't uh, confess his sins uh, or, or forgive the neighbor when he says he repents, he is under condemnation instead." Then he finally says, "Now I say to you, go. Whosoever will not repent of his sins, the same shall not be numbered among my people." And this shall be observed from this time forward. That's the end of the story. And it says, It came to pass, Alma heard these words. He wrote them down that he might have them, that he'd know how to judge the people of the church in the future. There wasn't a whole lot of criteria. And and um, apparently that was important because later on, Alma 327, uh, and I think you you'd mentioned that already, and we'll probably get into that here in a minute, all of these questions he's asking of the people. And again, it's not, you know, is uh, any among you that can't see out of one eye? Is there any among you that has cancer? Is right. there any among you that are, is in a wheelchair? You know, we right. need to heal you first. And I'm, 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 I'm trying to be sometimes being so obvious. Or I'm not trying to be a a jerk or anything, but I'm trying to make the point that there is some very, very serious questions that are asked over and over, and that we have to deal with, and that. You just don't want to get to that point that they're not a problem anymore until they're a problem. Right. And that day when they become a problem, you don't want to be when you're when it's when you're standing before before the Lord. Yeah, because you know we we come and we meet with these plagues in our heart, and and we we ignore that you know for the other things just for the physical. And of course, our life is determined in this world by the ability we have to live a physical life, but. We, we suffer in silence, you know, all mm. of us with these spiritual uh, illnesses of, of many kinds, which are all, you know, God knew about and even says he created. He knew how to take them away from us, but but we too often miss miss this foundation of the, the repentance and forgiveness. Well, Corey, just uh, before we move on, not to belabor this too long, but what do, logistically, how do you think, and you may, this may not be a great answer or you may not have an answer, but 
how do you see this playing out logistically confessing your sins one to another is that something that um or or in this context in the book of mormon how do you imagine that looked like did that was that a special service was that a wednesday night prayer service was that uh just happening every day you know routinely on the street corner if you run into a brother how, i mean do you think what do you think about that because I'd hate for us to say, well, that was another time, another right, place, right. society yeah. was different. Well, I, I think that's a good question, and I, th- I think there's a lot of merit to it. Um, it. It probably takes some thought just because if that is the answer and we're not doing it, you know, maybe the scriptures give clear guidance and we, we need to study more on what they say. But but I think the, the ability to confess sin is important. Um, you know, I've, I've seen this a couple times. I, I was at a church service once where a man before he was baptized said, I've, I've been a sinner and, you know, I've, I've had lust. And he talked about different temptations he had succumbed to and went on for five, six, seven minutes before he even entered the water. And it was it was beautiful. And it's like, you know, you kind of imagine, even in that moment, if that was just a one-time deal, he probably didn't forget the things that he confessed the rest of his life, you know, because he admitted this before people. But yet at the same time, this ability to confess our sin before God and each other so that we all know we're, we're in this journey together, I, I think, and that we're all just kind of, to use the phrase, walking each other home, that we're all suffering, we're hurting, and and that it's it's kind of like Facebook. You know, I, I know some people who won't get on social media because they're hurting in life, you know, uh, uh, parents who've been separated from their children, and then it hurts them to look on Facebook and, and see, uh, to use that as an example, other people having birthday parties with their kids because that's the thing they want to be having with their right. own children, you know, for instance. But then how so often, you know, people will only put one face forward, and it's always the good, it's always the positive. And it's unfortunate because that makes you think that you're the only one hurting and everyone else is having a good time in life, and it's not true. Yeah. But, um, but I think, I, I think part of our life, our part of our life, uh, in worship, it should center more around the condition of our souls, and and be okay in knowing that we all suffer from the same things and being willing to discuss that. Um, I. I was so, I, I never forgot this, even though it's been over 20 years ago, was in another men's worship one time when um brother stood up. He's, he's passed on now. He was a mentor to me. And he said, you know, I am an adulterer. And here's a man who's a priest, and a priesthood member, in fact, and he was a missionary. And he said, and and he said, I, I confess it. And, and, and then he said, no, I need to let you know that you know I've, I've never been with another woman or touched another woman or said any uh, words to anyone with any affection other than my wife but he said but i have stray thoughts now and then and i and my mind wanders and i and i lust for things that i don't and i you know i'm guilty of this too but what what he said after he he talked about this at length because when he first said he was an adulterer we all kind of squirmed and wonder oh what's happening now and you know it makes you feel kind of awkward and, he, and then he wrapped it all up by saying, well, you know, I haven't done the things of uh, physical adultery, but I've done the things of spiritual adultery. And he said, and the reason it's so easy for me to talk about this is because you all have this same problem too. You know, he spoke to the rest of us and we realized, wow, isn't that true? And so in this um, confession of sin, uh, you know, uh, the, the lustful thoughts being one of, of, of several or maybe just a few, um, to, to realize that uh, we're, we're not alone in this. It, it helps. Uh, so I think in confessing our sins to each other, we reduce Satan's power to have hold over Thank us. Thank you. Thank you. That's, I've often said that if Satan can make each man feel like he's an island, like he's on an island alone, and take away, um, make him feel like he's the worst, then he's one. And the only way to break that power, I think, and, and the Lord knows with his great wisdom, is to to speak those things out loud where they're no longer a secret, where they're no longer something that um, is just between me and myself and in my darkness. Now, once that's done, yeah, all kinds of power is taken away from from Satan, but think about this, Corey. How many more sins take place in our lives um, because we remain on that island? How many um, of our of our brothers and sisters try to try to make up for their weakness or their sin by um, 
by pride or by putting forth a, a better face or by doing this or that. In doing so, they just compound the problem. Yeah, because you feel like you got to keep hiding it. You know, I um, sometime not even that long ago in my life, I remember confessing to to my wife because I felt like she was the one I needed to confess this to my my own lustful thoughts of adultery or acts that I had participated in or imagined or whatever. And you know, um, and the the beautiful thing in that moment was that there came no condemnation from her or anything. It was just love, and it was. Uh, acceptance and the fact that it, it was so freeing in that moment to feel like um, I had a, a partner in this. It wasn't like I was alone and being condemned. And so in this, I, I learned that, you know, we get that same love from Jesus too. Is that he, he even says, hey, I'm the one who created these sins. Mm-hmm. He, he knows he knows what it's about. So there's no hiding in that. And that you're right, Satan does want us to hide. What you said about hiding, we were talking earlier off, off mic, just about your... Uh about your your dog being on the other side of the door, right? While, yeah. we're, while we're doing the right. podcast. He always wants to be with you. Right. But when we uh, when we do something that we know is wrong or whatever, our like Adam and Eve in the garden, we want to hide from God sometimes when we need to go to him more. And he doesn't want us to hide. He doesn't want us to go off in, in shame and be like, well, I can't even bring this up to you. He wants He wants us to go towards him even with that sin, and, and confess it. And so when we uh, when we feel like we're an island and alone and, and that other people aren't suffering with the same kind of temptations that we are, that, that can lead from us uh, not just hiding our sins from them, but obviously, but we're hiding them from God. And, and that may just sound like that's too obvious, but really think about that. If you're not working out your salvation and working on this problem on your knees with the Lord and admitting it for what it is, then going to be a problem someday yeah you know that's the first thing adam and eve experiences when they mm-hmm. sin they wanted to hide from god and cover themselves up oh no we're naked um you know the, my dog and you may have heard another podcast a little sound in the background there's a 150 pound golden retriever he's not that big now but um sometimes laying at my feet and he wants to be with me there's there's a little bit to this story i guess um when when he was a puppy like so many puppies you bring him home and they they've never been away from their litter before, so that's all new and traumatic, I'm sure. But but you try to crate train them, you know, so they they learn where they can go to the bathroom, and also at night they need to know that they've got to be quiet. Well, we we brought this dog home, this little baby golden retriever, many years ago, and and he was a loving dog and everything. But at night, the first night, uh, put him in a crate and, and put him downstairs, and someone said, well have a little alarm clock by the dog. You know, they hear that ticking and they think it's their mother's heartbeat and they'll, they'll be quiet. Well, the dog's just yelping all night long, a little puppy yelping, and that wasn't doing any good. So, so he yelps all night long. So the next night we tried something different. Someone said, well, play a radio by him, you know, play a little clock radio or something. And so he can hear a voice and that'll soothe him. Well, second night goes by and he's not getting any better, <laughs> just yelping in that crate downstairs. And I can hear, and everyone else has gone to bed, but I got to get up in the morning. After two nights of no sleep, the third night, he was yelping, and I I decided, all right, I'm going to bring him in our bedroom. And I put him in the room, and that made him even worse because now he knew I was just across the room. So <laughs> so what what I did, and I still remember this, my wife was asleep somehow. I, I brought this puppy in his crate, and I flipped around on the bed. I put my head down where my feet normally were, and I put this crate right up on the bed, and he scooched right to the edge, kind of where his fur sticking out through the little grate there. And and I put my head by him. And, well, I solved one problem, but I kind of created another <laughs> because he slept quietly the rest of the night. But after that, he never wanted to leave my side. He he was he was my buddy for life. And so he's he's older now, and he's in his final days, and, and he's he's not able to use his, his back legs so well anymore. But And I know he's in some pain, but the interesting thing is, when he's in his pain, I can hear him whimpering like he needs some help getting up the stairs sometimes. And there can be noise going on in the house or the laundry going or whatever. And and I can hear his whimper when he's outside over that noise. And, and you know, God hears our whimper too over the noise of life. And he's He's always listening. The scripture says, you know, he slumbers not nor sleeps. And he's always listening for us. But but unlike my dog, when um, when I'm in my pain, when I choose to transgress i i want to be away from god because i i think that i can hide you know 
And my dog teaches me otherwise. And in, in his pain, in his final days here, he just wants to be with me. He just wants to be as close. And I, and I think we need to learn from that, that God is not judging us wrongly when we sin and transgress. He wants the opposite. He wants us to come to him. And, and he wants something that I think, here's an important word that I just realized recently that uh, made a difference for me. He wants us to enjoy the, the, his power and authority in our life, even, even when we suffer. Um, <clears throat> so Alma Sr., the dad, learns how to set up the church, and Alma Jr. is transgressing, and he's got this conversation going with his son. And, you know, uh, well, so I mean, I'm sure going on about his son concerned. And so one day Alma Jr. is confronted by this angel, and this angel says something important, many things important. But this penetrated me when I read this. The angel speaking to the rebellious son who, who wasn't following the ways of the, his father or the church or Jesus and said it was even a wicked and idolatrous man. But in uh, Mosiah 11, verse uh, 167 through 169, He says, the Lord has heard the prayers of his people and the prayers of his servant, your father, Alma, for he has prayed much uh, in faith concerning you that thou might be brought to the knowledge of the truth. And here's what the angel says. Therefore, for this purpose, speaking to the rebellious son, have I come to convince thee of the power and authority of God. Isn't this something that the angel's purpose was to convince of the power and authority of God. And, and I thought, that's my problem, is that I want to protect areas of sin in my life, and, and I haven't let the power and authority of God have authority over all areas of my life, my sin, the, the things I harbor. And that, you know, some so I've realized even just recently in my life, it's easy to scripture search and find all kinds of scriptures on change of heart, and it's easy to teach a class or have a podcast on, oh, our hearts have to change, hearts have to change. But but has it really happened for me? And, and when I read this scripture, and this was just in the last couple of weeks, I realized that it comes down to this. Are we willing to let God's authority reign in every aspect of our lives? Is And if we are, that's the change. That's when the change happens. When we when we come to that point where we say, yes, Lord, I want your authority in every aspect of my life. I don't want to hide behind my sins. I don't want to separate myself from you. I, I want to respond correctly in every situation. That's that's what we that's all we can hope for, I guess. And, but that's that's it. That's that's at least arriving at the uh, at the the cure at the solution for the cure. Sure, knowing knowing what the cure is now, whether or not that's that's an easy. A path to go down, or is it going to take some practice? Absolutely. If you think about this, Corey, um, you know, take a marriage, take a husband and a wife that have developed bad habits over time, and um, you know, maybe one or the other gets into the habit of, um, you know, if a crossword is said or whatever, instead of letting the other person know, they just kind of. They just kind of harbor that and go about their day, or maybe they they get quiet. You know, maybe that's the response, and they withdraw. And they, they just withdraw, and, and then there's like three or four days of silence in the house, and then you just slowly conversation uh, picks back up. But there's never any apologies. Just life goes, and they they you learn to develop these habits. You you learn to de- develop these patterns, and 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 to be honest, both parties become comfortable to those patterns. They know that's what mm-hmm. what happens. Um, we do the same thing with with God, and in the most fortunate circumstances, you know, when that becomes so dysfunctional that that marriage is no longer going to be able to to thrive or even to to exist, um, one or both parties may be willing to go to a counselor. And there's so many habits you have to relearn in small little baby steps to move forwards. Yeah. Well, the same thing goes with uh, with our relationship with God on a personal level, but also what what I think is most frustrating and, and even hard is as a church, how do you move a giant ship in a better direction when we've developed habits of not being a vulnerable as a people of of we've developed habits of only uh, you know praying for one another's physical ailments, which 
I heard uh, Timothy Keller say the other day, the Apostle Paul in all of his writings, he never prayed for someone's uh, physical circumstances to get better, but 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 that they would grow within those circumstances, right? Yeah. So that's that's a hard question. I'm not, and I'm not looking to you for an answer, but just in, in discussion. I mean, let's acknowledge that that that's a very uh, it's hard to change an organization or a body of people. And yet it's necessary. It seems like it's necessary through these scriptures. Right, right. It is. It is. Part of it's the, the paradigms that we've had over time, oral tradition that sort of takes place over scripture. And, and yeah, I'm like you. You kind of wonder, what is, what is that true, uh, the followers of Christ in true worship, what does that look like? I think we fall into patterns and habits that, you know, it all sounds kind of cliche, but sometimes I wonder if we experienced the power of God like some of these people in scripture did, would we even recognize worship, you know, or would we feel comfortable mm-hmm. in that situation where they're confessing their sin and are laying down their, their lives and they're, they're making it a priority um, in, in ways that we're not always as comfortable with because sometimes, well, I think we just hide behind the fact that we feel like, well, the church was restored and therefore we're just waiting for the kingdom to come down and that's all we've got to do and, and missing the point. No, he wants us to live you know, valiantly and victoriously. And that, that happens through some of these basic steps through confession of sin and making relationships right. And maybe <clears throat> I think there's some fear, especially maybe among elders or those who are in charge of services or, or designated to be in charge of services. I mean, imagine on a Wednesday night when all of a sudden, you know, everybody's standing up. And I don't think it means, well, this week I, you know, and you get specific right, and right, I watched right. this and what it was yeah. was, but um, but boy, to move towards that, we're talking about having a changed heart, and the scriptures are talking about how we confess those things. Um, there's got to be a pathway, or at some point and sometimes some person needs to take the lead in that to to move towards that. Well, you know what's interesting too is you know we're, we're the church. If you consider the restored church, and if if you're listening as a member of one of the groups of people who's come to believe the church was restored in the 1800s. You know, that's not the end of the story. We're the Gentiles that the Book of Mormon came to because for all the reasons God brought his word to every generation, he wanted the Gentiles to know how to come to Christ and be saved, right? Um, But the story didn't and doesn't end with us. That's the beautiful thing of these prophecies that the gospel goes back to Israel and and I'm kind of getting ahead of myself in this but the interesting thing is this this the fact that even to this larger group of gentiles if you will of the church and the larger group of gentiles is nations of of people of gentiles the lord still says but if they'll repent they'll be numbered among this the house of Israel and and in the blessings and the only reason i share this is that there's still hope that no matter what condition we find ourselves in right now, that it can change and that God is always saying, my arm is extended to you. And, and, and yet we're the ones who it is incumbent upon us to, to take those steps back, like you say, to, to, to reexamine our, our actions and our responses, like in our relationship and decide, okay, I want to do this differently. I want to, I want to be different. Um, you know, it sounds like a simple thing too, but it's probably one of the biggest overlooked elements of scripture. I, I don't think we understand the power of fasting. You know, we, 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 we throw these words around, okay, let's study and fast and pray and let's study and fast and pray. But the ancients knew things about fasting that we don't understand. And, you know, our existence with God before we came into this world was totally different. We weren't connected to this world in a physical sense. You know, we, we had the living water of Christ, but but now we need water from the earth and our bodies created from this dust. We have to eat things from this earth to stay alive, totally connected to it. But we've got this spirit that inhabits this, this uh, organism, if you will, called our flesh. And somehow through fasting, our spirit gains strength because it's, it's separated from a time from the need from the physical. And when, when we exercise that in, in, in our daily walk and, and make it a habit, there's strength that's gained that you just don't understand in um, in other ways. Um, you know, it's kind of like when a person starts running and their heartbeat starts decreasing uh, beats per minute because their heart becomes more efficient. 
Um, the spirit goes through those exercises through fasting. You know, prayer becomes your food rather than the the physical food, and and strength of the spirit is enhanced so that when we're tempted, it gives us the ability to respond appropriately in those situations as Christ would uh, through the through the endurance that's been built up through fasting. And it's probably the biggest overlooked uh, spiritual tool that we have. Um, and, and there's not necessarily a, a one way to do it or a right way or only way, but the the fact is that mainly it's, it is a way and it, it's an important way that was part of the formula that Jesus taught his disciples. You know, he didn't say, uh, if you pray, he said, when you pray, he didn't say, if you fast, he said, when you fast. And so, there's, there are exercises, I guess, in the spiritual sense that um, sometimes you know we, we look at ourselves like, oh yeah, I, I can run a marathon, but if I if I've never gotten off the couch and even you know gotten those tennis shoes or whatever on, uh, chances are that we won't run a marathon that day. We we can look at the spiritual things in the same way. We we are, we're only as good at resisting temptation as our spirit has exercised itself too, and and so. I don't know. There's mysteries surrounding it. I don't claim to understand it, but I, I see evidence in the scripture that um, that some of that is uh, hidden in that mystery of fasting. So, anyhow, the Gentiles are are people. We have things to learn. I don't think they're hidden in deep mystery. I think they're plain and simple things. They're they're the repentance and the change. But that's a that's a good place to start. Well, back to the uh, <clears throat> we we're talking about, you know even starting breaking it down into one of our most basic units, the family unit and between a husband and wife, that, um, that step back is, is learning new patterns are, are very small steps, but it's interesting. Like you shared two testimonies and you're like, I remember very clearly, you know, this one, uh, this service where this brother did that. Isn't it amazing that after all of these years, you remember that, mm-hmm. and and that may be because the spirit was strong and it was impactful, but also maybe because it happened so few times that right. it's it's very extraordinary, mm-hmm. and so then it has an impact on you. What um, it'd be great if uh, if that became became the norm, but um, yeah, and maybe that days ahead. You know, maybe maybe it is. You know, um, when we were talking in the last episode, uh, there was some guidance that Scripture gives, and we just started in on it regarding um, you know what happened to these Lamanites who are in the darkness of this prison as fire came down and surrounded Lehi and Nephi, the sons of Helaman. And uh, was that Helaman? Yeah, two? Helaman two one hundred six okay. and one hundred seven. And and so it might be good to just kind of build off a little bit sure. of that in, in this. This whole aspect, you know, whether it's in our relationships and our marriages or with other people or just with our personal relationship with Christ, there's a fundamental principle that's revealed in this moment where the Lamanites, who were bloodthirsty killers, really in this situation, they were about to kill Lehi and Nephi and rejoice in it. They're now surrounded by this darkness, and their question is, what shall we do to have it removed from overshadowing us? And and Aminadab, one who is kind of familiar with uh, maybe spiritual things, announces to them, you must repent, cry to the voice, even until you shall have faith in Christ, and who is taught to you by Alma, Amulek, and Zeshram. And when you do this, the cloud of darkness shall be removed from overshadowing you. You know, there's a principle there that we can all start at in life where we we pray until we have faith in Christ and that he's the one who will remove the darkness from our lives. He, he instantly removes it from these people in the prison People who had never even known him, known his name before, and now all of a sudden they're experiencing this, and they call on Christ, this guy they'd never heard of, and then all of a sudden this miraculous thing happens, the darkness is gone. But but the principle in our life starts there too. We can call on Jesus to remove the darkness, and and I know that also sounds kind of cliche, but but there's some more principles that are shared. And, and just to continue that, another Lamanite, this was a guy who was a king, is hearing about God and hearing about you know salvation and it's presented to him and he asked this question because he had never been approached with this information before and he says what shall I do this is a Alma thirteen forty nine through about fifty four what shall I do 
that I may be born of God. So he's asking this question, how can I be changed? Having this wicked spirit rooted out of my breast and receive a spirit that I might be filled with joy, that I might not be cast off the last day. And he says this, even where he says, I'll give up everything I own. I'll give up all that I possess. I'll forsake my kingdom that I could receive this great joy. He, he had to come to a point in his life where he realized the things of God were more important than anything else in the world. And that's, that's another point because too many times it's the things of the world that keep us bound down and we don't necessarily realize it. It's the pleasures we receive. It's, 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 and, and you know, it's, it's a touchy thing because God wants us to bless us. He wants to bless us with good things, with, with things of temporal and spiritual blessings, you know, good lives. And doesn't mean that we won't have challenges and trials. But at the same time, sometimes it's those physical things first that become the issue, the roadblock. And so the very first thing is he's asking this question, how can I change? He said, I'll give away everything of this physical world if I can know what, if I can have this great joy. And so, and, and it says, Aaron, who is the one sharing with uh, King Lamona, says, if you desire this thing, if you will bow down before God, if you'll repent of your sins and bow down before him and call on his name in faith, believing that you will receive, then you'll receive the hope that you desire. That's, that's all he tells me. He says, if you'll ask for this with everything you've got, then he's, then the king bows himself down before the Lord on his knees. He did prostrate himself upon the earth and cried mightily saying, Oh God, Aaron hath told me there's a God, and if there is a God, and if you are God, will you make yourself known to me that I might give away all my sins to know you, to be raised from the dead and saved to the last day? And then this guy falls into his coma, just like Elma Jr. But the point... But yet, and I like the contrast between these two scriptures you just shared because uh, as I'm learning... This is just recently I'm becoming aware of this. Sometimes in the scriptures, we see something that is a standard. It, it, it shows us a, a place where a person finds himself in life um, or a condition where someone is in, and then they do something, and this great result happens. But that doesn't always help me get to the position that they're in. And then other times, there's scriptures that say, this is what you do. To get and get, and so here we see. So this first scripture, it says, "What do I do?" Um, Aminadab, how do you say that? Yeah, Aminadab yeah. says, "The first thing you do to get rid of this darkness is you cry unto the voice until you have faith in Christ." Is that? Where, yep. Where, where yep. That, that was uh, Helaman two one hundred six one yeah. seven. So he's here. We are going back to the vine. The brand. look, look. There's nothing that's going to happen in your life until you are connected to that vine, to you have faith in Christ. Mm -hmm. So here is a process, like cry unto this until you have faith in Christ. And then we flip over to this other scripture you just shared about um, it, this guy says, I will give up everything in my life to know you. Well, he didn't just, whatever happened, <laughs> he just arrived at that. That's not an easy place to be, but that's showing you a picture that when someone gets to that point, yes, this is what happens. And so does that really tell me how to get to that point? Maybe not right there, but maybe if we read surrounding. But that's that's how you have this wonderful experience then. And so the question is, how do I get there? Well, maybe you pray until you have faith in Christ, and maybe that's the first step. Yeah, but and so that's a great point, Mike. And, and bringing up a, a topic we talked about before, everyone might be thinking, well, I believe in Christ. I believe mm -hmm. in Christ. But this interesting word here, this faith in Christ, until you shall have faith in Christ, it might start with just saying, I believe, but the difference is, has your belief turned into a determination, right? Mm -hmm. And in both of these situations, I mean, one, the Lamanites are surrounded by darkness. They're determined they don't want to be in darkness anymore, right? And that may have been their first objective, but they're, they're kind of metaphorically living out the darkness of our lives in this moment. So, Having faith in Christ didn't mean just, hey, believe that he exists, but are you going to be determined to change? And and so for many of us, we're kind of in this limbo in life where it's like, well, yeah, I believe in Christ. You know, I guess I, I know he lived and he's my Savior. But it has turned into this determination because that's what King Lamoni in uh, Alma 13, the second scripture we read, has, is, that's the junction he's at right now. Right. He's like, no, I'm determined. I, I want to be different. Right. And, and, and that's... 
that's what has to well up in us. And it's okay for those things. And, and each one of us at different points in our life are are at a different place where that faith means something different. Yes, you have to just acknowledge that he exists in the first place. But any faith or any belief, as it says in there, unto repentance or any faith with power has to be uh, one that includes uh, action. There's just not this, just a mental thing. It has to include action, which means submitting your whole life, uh, giving it up to someone else. Like you were talking about earlier, Corey, um, it means, you know, it has to have action. You have to, you have to be living it out. You have to live it out to, uh, to prove that I really do believe I'm going to, I'm going to give up my will to someone else, or I'm going to forgive them, whether they believe, you know, whether they actually meant it or not when they asked for my, for my forgiveness. But yes, this King, this King here, he's at a whole different level of, of faith because he's, yeah, they, they, two different places. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, I'm determined I'm going to forgive people when they sin. You know, that's that's the change of heart when it happens. No, I'm going to forgive someone no matter what they do. When we wake up with that attitude mm-hmm. rather than, uh, this guy really bugged me, we, we hold on to it. No, when we come to that point, that's when the work of Christ becomes evident in our life, and that's when he can work. Uh, you know, it's interesting because building on those two experiences, uh, another scripture that— Comes and this is in the end of the Book of Mormon in Moroni seven. You know we throw this word around charity and charity is the love of Christ and all this stuff. But but charity is ultimately the result of a changed heart. And and by this, what's what's interesting here is um, Moroni is sharing this with the world. He says, "Wherefore, my beloved brethren, pray unto the Father with all the energy of heart." that you could be filled with this love that he's bestowed upon all those who are true followers of his son, Jesus Christ, that you could become the sons of God, that when he shall appear, we'll be like him. And so this is a, is a question I had to ask myself. For as many times as I've read this scripture, and this is Moroni 7.53 in the RLDS version, have I ever just prayed with all the energy of heart that I could be filled with charity towards everybody, towards everyone, or, or do I like to harbor that sin? Do I like to do I like to justify myself with anger towards someone else or tension because I feel like I'm right and I'm vindicated and, and they're wrong, you know? But he's like saying, no, pray. If you have any energy at all, let it all be directed towards asking for this love, which happens when our hearts change. It is the evidence. It is the evidence of the changed heart. So. So we see this Lamanites learning, pray until you have faith that the darkness will not overshadow you. That's that's the beginning point. We see Lamanites' response, pray that you are willing to give up anything that's in the way, no matter what it is. You know, he's willing to give up his whole kingdom. You imagine a king saying that, uh, to know this and have this change. And then and then Moroni counsels us, pray that you'll be filled with this love. You know, these are all things. They're all, it's interesting because it all demonstrates an asking, a responsibility on the part of, of us, right? All, all three of these conditions are something that they ask for and something that God is willing to give, he, and he's not going to be stingy with it. But if we don't ask, and I look at my life, I think, have I prayed that the darkness would not overshadow me? Hmm, I don't know. Have I ever prayed that, Lord, I would give up everything I have if, if I could just have you? You know, have I come to that point? Or am I still thinking about the things I want to accumulate in this life? You know, have I heard about charity, or have I prayed that I could just be filled with this pure love of, of Christ? You know, those are things where I have to take a hard look in the mirror and say, are these just scriptures I've read, or are these things I've applied? Right. Sometimes we may feel like, you know, I read I read through the four Gospels, and, um, you know, I've read those words. I know what they say. I don't want to do it again. But there's something different about the Word of God even though we may have read it over and over, um, if we don't learn to, um, if we're not constantly involved in the Word of God, it's amazing how our thinking and our reactions to this world become so much like the world. Right, right. Even though we've we've glanced at those words before. And, and how many times have you shared a scripture with me and you've said, I don't know how many times I've read this, but look at this, and then you have a new meaning. There is something living and organic about that ink on the paper that is conveying thoughts that 
men under the inspiration of the Spirit have have written. And so it's kind of like with the fasting thing when we say, well, you got to read the scriptures, pray and fast. But no, you really have to be engaged with the Word of God and the thoughts that men are trying to portray to us by the Holy Spirit um, in order for you not to take on the philosophies of the world. It's yes. just, yes. it's just, they're just too powerful. They're all encompassing. Yes. And if you're not giving God his time, then you're never going to have that change of heart that we're talking about. Yeah. You know, uh, right. Spot on uh, a short scripture from Omni, the, the short little book uh, in the book of Mormon, like he, little he, book of Titus, the little uh, book of yes, Omni. And another one is, it's beautiful because, you know, Omni's struggling in that, in that book of Enos, it's, or Enos is struggling in two, and but you know he he says how his guilt was swept away. You know after he wrestles with God in prayer, he he made it important enough that he he gave himself to it. And then in Omni one forty seven, the advice is offered: come unto him and offer your whole soul as an offering unto him. And see that's where I've been at in my life when I realize I've given him part of my soul, right? Have I given him the whole thing? Have I considered, well, I'm a little better than this guy, so I must be okay because I'm not as bad as him, right? And and that's not the comparison God wants us to make. God wants us to offer all of ourselves. And and I ask myself that question, and I and I guess that's where I'm at in the point in my life is, what does it look like when I give my whole soul to him? What does that feel like, you know? And do I have contention with my brother or my companion? Do I have um, ought? Do I have anger? And and I and I know from short times in my life, I guess I can I can know when I've experienced sometimes the opposite when I'm full of anger and I think what got me to this point, and sometimes when I'm almost impervious to it, and I think what got me to that point, and and again it comes back to the things you mentioned. It comes back to our prayer and our fasting and our study. And when those words become alive in us, we don't want anything else to interfere. Well, we have covered a lot of ground. I feel like we've, I think we've kept a good, a good job at looking at changed heart, though in the in the middle of everything we've kind of covered this episode. But, um, yeah, just I encourage our listeners as I'm learning that when you're reading the Word of God, when you see these, you see these certain statuses of people, or you see, you know, the story where somebody's coming to know the Lord. Is it, is it giving you just a picture, a word picture of what it's like to be a follower of Christ? Because that's very important. Is it giving you a process? Because that's very important. Both of them have their place. Both of them are necessary. But just be aware of those because um, without doing that, you know, daily and weekly and staying in the word, then the world is just going to encompass us and having that change of heart is not going to is not going to take place if you're not giving God uh, equal time. You know, this uh, uh, final scripture to, to sort of conclude maybe these thoughts is the fact that the, the Lord is is beautiful in his mercy, and, and he is merciful. And this is from Helaman 2, 25 in the RLDS. Thus we might see that the Lord is merciful unto all who will in the sincerity of their hearts call upon his holy name, and thus we see that the gate of heaven is open unto all, even those who will believe on the name of Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God. And that's something that, you know, we have to remember in all this that the Lord's purpose is, you know, redemptive. Salvation is his purpose. He wants us to be with him. He is not trying to stack the deck against us. He knows life is hard. He knows we struggle. He knows we fall. He's willing to forgive if we're willing to forgive others. And it says he is merciful unto all who will in the sincerity of their hearts call upon his name. And if we do that, even if we're stumbling and falling and life is hard, he, he knows that. But he opens this gate of heaven to all who will believe in his son, Jesus Christ, because he wants us to be with him again. Well, that is a, a great scripture to end with, Corey. Um, let's remember uh, having a evil heart, a human heart, a carnal, sensual, devilish heart. It's not a problem. Until it is. <laughs> That's right. And then when it becomes a problem, is it too late to uh, to work that out? I'm sure we're going to have, uh, in our next episode, continue to talk about Changed Heart, dive into the scriptures, figure out the processes, how we can uh, go about that. Until next time, 
God bless.